Welcome to the Growth Enablement Madness Podcast, and I'm Jim Ward, your host, CEO of BrainCell, the growth enablement company. I'm absolutely mad about helping businesses grow and scale. And in this podcast, my team and I get a chance to talk shop with industry thought leaders about a variety of growth enablement strategies, stories, and technology trends. I'm happy that you're here, so let's get the growth conversation started. Good morning, everybody. I'm Jim Ward. I'm CEO of BrainCell. We're a growth enablement company. We uh, took a vacation last week, so we didn't have a podcast. We hope that you all had a are having a great summer. We had to have a little vacation ourselves. By the way, I said morning. You may not be in the morning, but you may be in the afternoon or evening, wherever you're listening. I know that we have some folks uh, internationally listening to this podcast. And we thank you for listening. Make sure you tell all your friends and relatives. They can find this podcast everywhere. I'm subjective anyway. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> so today we have a guest who is, I've known now for some time, I, she'll probably tell us how long because I don't have a good memory, and her name is Laura Finton. No, Fitton, like Mitten. <laughs> Hi, Laura. How are Hi, you? Hi, Jim. Hi, Brian. Long Hello. time. And we also have on with us today my trusty sidekick, Sarah Reed, who runs uh, marketing here as vice president of marketing, and our content manager, Brian Anderson, who's also our production manager here on this podcast. But again, welcome, Laura. I wanted to uh, say hello. And uh, also, do you remember when we first met? It was a conference. I'm guessing I was speaking on behalf of HubSpot. I know you were sponsoring and you took us out to an amazing dinner and we just, we were somewhere else in the world too. Cause I remember being surprised to find out we live really close to each other. Yeah, it was, but it was some time ago, but you were with HubSpot at the time. Of course, a uh, big fan of HubSpot and Darmesh and Brian, what they do there. And you captivated me because you had, you're a great speaker. Uh, public speaker, and it's a great skill to have. So um, we all went to dinner, and uh, I don't remember much after that. I mean, it wasn't that I was drunk or anything, but we had a good dinner that night. It was a great dinner. So, Laura, tell me a little bit about what you're doing today. But you know, actually, before we get there, you know, when I talk growth enablement, what does it mean to you when I say that phrase, growth enablement? Well, as the founder of a startup, 140, that I sold to HubSpot and then eight-year veteran of HubSpot, to me, what it most means is building a legacy, building a company that will employ people, building a company that will actually make an impact on the world. I think it's easy to lose sight. It's not just numbers for numbers sake. It's who we are and what we're in this for. Very, very few people who are running their own business or trying to grow their own business are doing it purely for the money. Usually there's a much more intrinsic motivation there. And if you're not growing, you're not going to be able to increase that impact. Yeah, and I think that sort of connects with what you're doing today as well, right? So um, the new company that you've started is called Enough, is that right? Yeah, the Enough Company or Enough.co for short. Tell me what it does. Well, so I actually have a degree in environmental science and public policy, despite my 20 plus year as a professional speaker, marketer, communicator. That really is my root. What I've realized is if we don't start applying market forces to slowing down the climate crisis a whole lot faster than we've been doing, just the, the economic and life and livelihood losses are going to be staggering. They're, they're already staggering, right? We're, we're watching wild things happen in the world, like wildfires and oceans igniting on fire and crops failing. And there are already climate refugees. There are already climate deaths. 
And the thing that I think a lot of people miss is that when we talk about these net zero futures and actually, you know, getting ourselves out of this, at the moment where we've really hit those goals, all that happens is things stop getting worse. Right. Right. And so if we're talking 2030 or 2050 and we already know how bad it is right here now in 2021, it's just unthinkable. But without getting lost in gloom and doom, there's a really important fundamental shift everyone can make. It's been branded very successfully by people and forces and money who wanted it branded this way that climate is expensive to fix. Oh, it'd be nice to do that, but it's going to cost us a lot of money. While not wrong that it, it is expensive, it's a lot cheaper than climate destruction, which is going to impact every industry, every business model. It's going to steal everyone's lunch, just like COVID did. And if you don't believe me, it's like carpenters got slammed this year because of this one insect in Canada, this climate tied in. And all of a sudden, the cost to build a single family home jumped by $24,000 at one point during the year because of the price of lumber. So just as every single company got walloped at some point by COVID, and then, you know, some of them were able to deliver COVID positive services and actually grow during COVID, the same thing's going to happen with the climate, just on much more massive timescales. And the average person sees the IPCC report, which just came out last week, and freaks out and feels bad and feels guilty and doesn't quite know what to do. So they write a check to an environmental organization, which is lovely. But then they go right back to how they earn, spend, save, and invest and keep fighting that very charity, which makes no sense at all. There's a million different ways you could be helping joining in the climate fight while keeping all your money and some of which by earning more money, right? So like just helping people flip that from this is expensive. I feel guilty. I need to make a donation to, hey, wherever my money happens to be in the bank. I know it's being loaned out at like a 10 to one ratio. Every dollar I have, $10 gets loaned. And turns out it's being loaned to build projects that I don't want to see exist in the world. So we are the economy. We have so much power. So this conversation about climate change, I'm very passionate about because I do believe that climate change is going to be actually, destructive going forward. I mean, and I have a child who will uh, live through this although he's now 30. Can you believe I have a 30 year older? I mean, just look at me. Um, yes, you believed it. I could see in your face. Yes, it's, he's all of 30. However, that he's going to still go through, if we do nothing, there's going to be an issue. And, and this is a little bit of a flip on our podcast because we usually talk to about technologies and strategies, but it struck me based on my passion for uh, climate change and what it's going to do and in talking to you, how it's going to affect businesses as well and how businesses can affect climate change with deliberate actions and still be profitable. I thought this was a good conversation to have around what we consider growth enablement, which is growth of revenue, scale of company, because ultimately it could inversely impact these companies, some of these companies that are out there. Fair enough? Yeah, yeah. And it seems like it would only be a few industries on first blush, you think, oh, maybe it's just insurance. Maybe it's just this. It's really coming after everybody's business model. And when we talk about scale, I mean, marketing technologies are amazing. There's all kinds of ways to scale. But what is the biggest stopping point for almost every business on earth for scale? It's hiring. You do not have your ish together on 
Are you a responsible climate citizen? And is your company's business model protected against climate catastrophe? Nobody's going to want to work for you. So you're saying that perhaps the uh, folks that are coming to the workforce are really thinking about these things? Numerically, Gen Z is extremely worried about it. Millennials are pretty worried about it. My generation, Gen X, is, is also fairly engaged across the board. So while it would be your younger workers who have the greatest awareness and probably the greatest aversion to working for you if you're destroying the climate or investing in things that does, I really think it's going to affect the workforce as a whole. And so many of the things you can offer that are even cost neutral or cost savings for your business are great employee benefits, right? You have one of the giant banks, Goldman Sachs, offers renewable electricity in your house at home as an employee benefit. And you might think, well, how do they do that? Because there's so many electricity markets and energy buying is really complicated. They've just partnered with a website I'm a huge fan of, Arcadia.com, which you basically just give them your power company login and then they take over your buying and they make sure to buy as much renewable as possible. And where they can't buy renewable, they pay for renewable offsets rather. So they're investing in a renewable project somewhere else. Goldman Sachs offers that as an employee benefit. Arcadia. Dot com, you said? Arcadia.com. And, and in full disclosure, I'm such a fan that I'm in their little like yay raw program, but like they, Goldman Sachs selected them for an employee benefit. Another employee benefit, if you do have a 401k, and again, this, this takes nothing off your bottom line and makes your employees feel very good. You can offer one or more fun choices that are climate friendly or climate neutral. One of the first things I tried to do when I first got into this kind of climate economy stuff and trying to explain it was try and clean up my own house. And despite, I think, 50 amazing fun choices that the HubSpot 401k offers, there wasn't a single one that was divested from fossil fuels. So I just ran each one of them. There's another great website, fossilfreefunds.org. I think I have that right. I'll check so you can get it in the show notes. I ran all 51 funds that were available in the HubSpot 401k through that and picked two or three that were like kind of the least bad. But those fund managers could change the investment mix easily and invest back in the things I don't want to be in. So again, that's kind of a no-brainer. You flip a switch, you pick a couple environmentally responsible funds, you add them to the mix. How you do your on-site catering really factors into climate and can be a cost savings Certainly with so much work from home becoming a reality, finally, that's a huge cost savings and a huge climate benefit. So I need companies to start thinking about, look, you know, we have a lot of muscle. We spend a lot of the money. Just quickly revisiting the nonprofit check thing. When you look at U.S. GDP, all the money that every nonprofit touches is 2% of our GDP. So it's small. And then of all the nonprofits, I don't have these numbers fresh. I think something like 9% of all nonprofits are something to do with nature or the environment or climate. And so now you're at like 9% of 2% of GDP. And then a small fraction of those are even climate focused and an even smaller fraction of the climate focused ones are actually doing effective, meaningful, additive things, right? There's a lot of real messiness with offsets and, and, you know, are you really offsetting something or is that going to then be cut down in 20 years? Was it really going to be cut down in the first place when you put your money in there to guarantee it wouldn't be cut down? Those trees you planted, are they going to burn down in a wildfire? So you're just looking at such a tiny, tiny pool of money 
and contrast that to moving the 98% of GDP that is not in nonprofits, you can see the impact is massive. Elon Musk didn't go out and say, I think I'll start a nonprofit to tell people they should buy electric cars. He didn't go to Washington and ask for new laws around electric cars. He looked at market forces and he figured out a way to align designing a car with what it costs to build a great electric car with the segment of the market that buys cars at that price point. Right. Brilliant. And by the way, as a side note, I think this is probably my last fossil fuel car. I'll be in an EV next by. So I'm there. So let's just kind of go back to for business people, because this is a shift for us, this conversation, right? It's not exactly what we would normally talk about. But I heard certain things that we can let's put a metric around some things. So impact to let's say impact to insurance costs, right? Because of the wildfires that are caused by climate change, when insurance companies have to pay out where somebody's paying for that. That's thus the consumer. Our, our businesses will pay for that, even though perhaps your general liability has nothing to do with it. They still have to make up those losses. We heard about you mentioning the timber prices or the, the wood pricing. Now, I had thought the wood pricing was based on demand through COVID because so many people were buying and doing upgrades to homes. But you're saying that there was some bug uh, that caused this issue too? It was both combined. It was sort of one of those perfect storm situations where there had been some losses in Canada for this one insect that shouldn't have been in the logging area, but with climate change now lives there. And that was combined with, hey, we're all home all the time. We all need decks. We want to take our laptop out and work in the backyard. So it was really kind of a perfect storm kind of a thing. But to have those market impacts, those cost structures landing in 2020, I operate a small business in Maine and a ton of the local crafters who build things out of cedar just put up on their website, I'm sorry, I just can't take orders right now because you wouldn't want to pay what cedar costs right now. Well, I know that our Sarah here today has been doing some renovations on her house. Sarah, have you experienced the the cost, the rising prices of uh, uh, materials like wood? <laughs> I have. My contractor actually told me if I didn't need to do any more work to wait. And hopefully the prices would come down because they're so high. And I didn't realize it was from the bugs either. <laughs> I thought it was a supply chain issue. It's a little bit of both. And our supply chain is so vulnerable. I mean, if COVID taught us anything, our global supply chain is nowhere near as robust as we all tell ourselves it is. And so, you know, you want to be sourcing and working with distributors who have a firm eye on climate and are thinking about how to be prepared for that. So it's prudent for all of us to be thinking about when we do something or spend money and what the impact might be. Now, I did some home renovation. This has nothing to do with my business, but I use the cement siding versus wood. Did I do the right thing? Did I, or am I causing more harm to the environment? I don't know a lot about that specific product, but I do know that- Because I, I don't want to be canceled. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> oh, if only cancel culture actually existed so in general, cement and concrete are very climate intensive. I don't know about that specific. I know the product you mean, and I don't have the numbers offhand, sorry. But a much bigger issue actually is whether you installed gas to that home, right? Gas is one of these very weird spaces where some people claim, oh, it's a bridge fuel because gas itself yields a little bit less CO2 when it's burnt. The problem with gas, if you Google for gas leak maps, Gas is leaking out of the natural gas system 
all over the world. Like it's it's shocking. Like some of the worst of it is here in Boston. The map just looks like this lit up. It's everywhere. And a molecule of methane gas, because of how it persists in the atmosphere and because of its chemical properties, it can be between 25 and 86 times worse than a single molecule of CO2. The 86 times number comes with a 20 year projection. It's just a little bit more math. Both numbers are accurate. The bottom line is it's a lot more. And so even if you're not burning that much in your house, just that pipeline that's coming to your house, somewhere along the way, it's leaking that incredibly potent stuff into the atmosphere. And for some reason, we're not holding the um, companies that distribute it responsible. So like National Grid had a $2 billion profit this year. Yeah. Thankfully, I did not put gas into the home. So I just, if anything I did wrong on the cement side, maybe I made up for it. But Brian, I want to make a point to you. Stop putting gas into your home. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Uh, And another thing, when you're investing in most businesses rent, they're hard real estate, right? But some do build. If you invest in a heating system that you know is doomed, like a heating system life cycle should be 30 years, right? 20, 30 years. Why would you buy something in 2021 that's fossil fuel powered that you know is going to either, either the price of that fossil fuel is going to go skyrocket in the next 10 years, or it's just not going to be available, right? At some point, we know we have to stop. And so there's a push. Rewiringamerica.com is a great resource, or it might be .org. I should have looked up my URLs before here. Is a great resource to this idea that everything in your life that's running on fossil fuels now just when you replace it, electrify. So you mentioned car, that's a great one. I think heating and cooling infrastructure is a huge one. So what would you do there, solar? Well, solar, if you can. The more universally available one is gonna be your heat pumps, right? So electric, right. Heat exchangers, yes. Okay. And for some lucky people, it's gonna be geothermal, which costs a lot to get going, but once it's going, it's just so robust and so effective. So this is one of the biggest market forces problems I see right now is that we have a ton of technologies that if they scaled up, we'd be in much better shape. And what's slowing them down is the scale. Like average consumer, average business purchasing manager doesn't know how to answer these questions quickly. We need better data. All the markets need proper disclosures of climate risk. We need to understand what fossil fuels really cost us. We don't actually know that because they are so highly subsidized. And renewables are becoming so cheap so fast and yet still have their growth inhibited. Not by the stuff you might think about like, oh, well, when it's cloudy, what happens? Yes, there are some real technological breakthroughs needed to get batteries at scale to be able to manage that. But we already have so much room for growth. And you think about how long it takes to buy a house right? What's the holdup? Getting the mortgage and getting the insurance. It's really hard to get the financing and insurance to build a new solar or wind project. It's much harder than it needs to be, right? So once we have the insurance vehicles, the financing vehicles, the public understanding for companies to build more and more of these facilities, we could scale that so much faster, right? So it's just a matter of making sure banks 
are on it and investing in these things proactively. And not to get stuck on this part of it, but I do have some friends who've put solar in and they're stuck in a horrible contract. So some of these solar companies haven't helped their cause with these contracts that folks can't get out of and they're bad. Just simply, when I looked at it from a business perspective, it's a bad contract. So can you share with us what some of the actionable tips you would give to our listeners and how to create a climate plan for their businesses and, and where do they start with this? And one other note I was thinking as you were talking, in our foods that we buy, there's a requirement to have calories, carbs, all that stuff. Wouldn't it be neat if that was a requirement for all industry to put in what their carbon footprint was? And so is that something you see coming? That Would that ever happen? I hope so. I mean, I think even before that, that would be great at the consumer level. I think even before that, what we need, certainly for publicly traded companies, is there are existing frameworks to try and quantify how badly your business model is going to be destroyed by climate. So there's the task force on climate disclosures, TCDF or something like that. We need companies to be writing down and sharing publicly out loud look, this is how badly we could be hit by climate as it rolls up over the next 10, 20 years and gets worse and worse. And not uh, enough companies are promoting what they're doing, which would be a help to their business, I would think. Right. Or they're promoting promises about what they will do in the future. And unfortunately, I saw a stat this morning that was somewhat encouraging that something like 70% of climate destroying companies are now at least adopting a net zero pledge. When you pull apart what those actually mean, though, like how quickly will they cut their emissions is the biggest piece of that, right? Oh, our emissions will be cut or offset by 2050 isn't going to make much difference to saving people's lives and slowing down the hurricanes and the wildfires and the freak tornadoes. In Where was that crazy tornado that just happened? I think it was in Pennsylvania that was just completely out of character with their climate. It was like a level three and everybody was just totally shocked. Anyway, just well, I that. do remember a tremendous tornado in Kansas, but that was with Toto and he was in the, <laughs> right. I, that's, not, know, that's, that's not the one, right? That's Tornado Alley, right? Outside of Tornado Alley, having a force one, there was, there was people in a car dealership filming it as it blew out all their windows. They all had to run into the bathroom. Anyway, I, I get so far afield. So let's get back to what tips can we share with folks? How do they create their plan? Because this is something that needs to, the first step is to stop the progression of climate. If you can't see what's happening out there with all of the disastrous things that are happening in our country alone, then you're missing it, right? And we've got to get it forefront. You've got to get it in your head. You've got to stop being a denier that this is this is happening. It's going to affect your future and your children's future. And uh, so what are some of the tips that we can take away from this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no other business risk segment that I can think of that people know about and pretend doesn't exist, right? As soon as you know something is coming for your business model, coming for your employees, coming for your suppliers, you plan. You put backup plans in place. So one of the things you should know is many of your employees are thinking about more meaningful work and they're searching the internet for climate jobs, right? I saw that very early on. I heard privately from employees from maybe companies I've worked at reaching out and saying, hey, I'm trying to get into climate. I'm done with just work for work's sake. So I built a climate jobs page on enough.co it isn't really a climate jobs page. I'm actually trying to take your employees and turn them back around to focus on what they can do right at the company, you know, the job they already have. And it identifies 41 things. Like I said, many of them are cost savings. 
It provides links to some of the organizations that are helping companies get climate neutral. And it provides links to some of the companies that are doing it. And then if you scroll past all of that, then at the bottom, it really is a climate jobs board. But I think what every company needs to do is meet their employees where they're at, engage, start talking to them, ask them what would be important out of those 41 things, what would be meaningful to them. And you'll be surprised how your productivity and your ability to retain will go up just from opening the conversation. In a market where there's, it's hard to find employees right now, by the way. So just an added step to be able to find folks, great folks. Yeah. Or keep and, and keep them and keep them and keep happy them. and productive. Yes. Right. And that was that you mentioned that's on your website, which is mm-hmm. enough.co, co, yep. not com, dot co, right? Yes. Enough.co cool. slash climate dash jobs. But again, we can put that link in the show notes. Absolutely. So what's next for enough? Where are you going with this? What's next for enough.co is I am here and available to help. I can come in and talk to employees, you know, come in via Zoom or maybe we'll do something outdoors. It's been a really interesting time. I launched enough.co January 2020 with the assumption that I would just go speak at events and then work with the clients that I met there. So figuring out how to do it all virtual and keep everybody, you know, climate can be exhausting and depressing and people can really shut down. And I just feel like this is such a hopeful and crucial message that we are not powerless. There is a lot we can do. And frankly, as Kara Swisher first put in the Wall Street Journal, again, January 2020, when we see the world's first trillionaire, it is very likely they will be a climate entrepreneur. Because the amounts of money in fixing energy and scaling energy up to the whole world in reliable, responsible, renewable ways, that's a giant market. Yeah. Do we think we'll see Elon in that space more? I mean, he's in Seoul. He's in so much, right? He's a, yeah. he's a visionary. I mean, he's certainly very focused on it and very fascinated by the physics. I remember a tweet of his, like maybe even five years ago already, where he's like, there is enough energy hitting just Utah from the sun to power the entire country, right? Like the amounts of energy are absolutely massive. Solar and wind had to battle upstream against really, really heavy subsidies for fossil fuels. And they still made it. And they're now the cheapest and most scalable things we have. So just continuing to scale those alone is a really important part of this. And put people back to work in areas where jobs are going to go away. The thing about the economic bosses, coal, all five major U.S. coal companies have already declared bankruptcy, right? Like coal's already a dead horse. When you look at ExxonMobil, XOM stock ticker, that was well over $500 billion in market cap eight years ago. It was the biggest U.S. company. And then last fall, it's, it's up again now, but last fall, it went down to about $140 billion market cap, less than a third of what it had been in just eight years. So if you had $500 of ExxonMobil stock just eight years ago, it was worth $140 last fall. I think, though, that part of that was COVID and the, and the demand drop. Part of it was COVID and the demand drop, but it only came up. I looked at it uh, a week or two ago. It was about 247. So I've still lost half my money in eight years. 
Oh, How okay. is that a must-have investment, right? Like, right. Yeah. So going to you in enough before, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast. I want to be, be respectful of your time. What's your model? I mean, when somebody wants to engage with you and I'm commercially, do you have a, a pay model and are you funded by grants? How does that work? You tell me a little bit about that. I'm, I'm funded by whatever I can piece together. I just know this is the thing that I need to be doing. The this model would be that I can come in as like a fractional VP of climate and help you put your model together, connect you to the right resources and vendors that can help you get that done, help you figure out job descriptions. There's a kind of a lighter touch available, which is if I just come in and start by giving a talk, maybe by sitting down and briefing your leadership and talking through where are the places that your business model is going to be impacted by this and how can you be planning around it. So, you know, it's it's very flexible. I'm I'm an evangelist for the idea and I'm going to worry about the business model to keep me evangelizing that idea as I build it. Well, you are a tremendous evangelist for HubSpot and uh, really caught my attention. And you've transitioned to this, which I'm guessing is your passion. And is that it's right? incredibly important. And it's such a simple shift to just change how we think about market forces and climate. Right. Because most people, when I say, oh, I, I'm looking at the climate economy, they go, oh, are those like the products that cost more but are better for Earth? And that's the exact opposite of market forces. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for your shift because you're doing something that's very important for our world and also for our future, but also impacting businesses. So for our folks out there that are listening, if you think that climate change isn't going to impact you, you need to think again. There are impacts for you. And so what the heck? Why not help the future as well? I think all of us 18 months ago would have said that a pandemic wouldn't necessarily affect our business model or cost structure or our employees, even knowing right. one was coming. Right, right. Well, this is our time where we get into our little techtainment segment and we don't prepare you for anything. So we're going to catch you off guard. So, uh, Sarah, do you have something you want to ask? I'm totally shifting gears, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you want me to just take the first one? You go, whatever one you want. Okay. What would you say the most useless talent is that you have? My most useless talent? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I have no idea. Or even maybe a talent that people don't know about. I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the first version of it. I am massively obsessed with solving problems, right? Which can be a very useful talent. But it's so extreme that I I do sometimes, and I'm not always aware of it, I do sometimes find myself in situations where I'm solving problems people don't actually have, or I'm solving problems people don't actually want solved, right? My brain is overthinking a mile a minute all the time. And I'm like, oh, you know, you could. And they're like, hey, I was just venting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're solving problems for people you don't even know. Like, I don't know what happens no, with me. No, 100%. I am, I am <laughs> yeah. that girl on Twitter who'll be like, no, oh, I'm, I get it. Problem. Maybe I can help. It's like, okay, Karen, sit back, <laughs> sit down. So, Brian, I, you know which one I want, I hope. Let's see if you make sure you know which one I want. You don't. Well, you can just look at them, but uh, yeah, you pick Wait. one, but don't pick mine. Okay. Wow. I hope, now I hope to God I didn't pick that one. So, Laura, if you could time travel, where I can't would believe it. Did I do it? Just Did kidding. I, oh, no, you didn't, you, idiot. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you could time travel, when would you go to and why? 
Where or when? When, because technically- oh, when, that's time. Yeah. Right, it's not a where, it's a when question. Yep, see? I am definitely the person who runs towards danger to see if I can help. Uh, so I'm going to go 100 years ahead and see how some of this turned out. You know, I think there are many parts of the past that I get nostalgic for. I love like old timey cooking and, you know, like colonial architecture, but there's just so much fundamental inequality for people of my gender in most pastimes and fundamental inequality for people who don't look like me in our current time, let alone worse in the past. So I want to see a hundred years from now, even if I'm walking out to a post-apocalyptic landscape. Wouldn't that be scary? So on all serious, uh, all ser- that was, uh, I'm seriously, this is coffee. I'm not kidding. That's coffee. It's nothing in there but coffee. In all seriousness, so it's in all seriousness, if that opportunity presented itself, would you take the chance to really go and knowing that you can't come back? Not with my kids the age they are now. Okay. Right? That Get would it. be the biggest thing. If we're talking single, Laura, before I've, like in my early 20s, before I've even raised my niece, then yeah, in a heartbeat. I mean, I, I went and lived in Moscow for the fun of it in 1994. My last trip before the pandemic was horse trekking in Mongolia. I got the chance to jump on a horse I'd never ridden before, gallop after an eagle hunter, knock his hat off, and win it in the contest. And then later I, I bought it from him. Uh, and is he alive still? Did when you knock he, I... he is. He is. We have a whole photo with him and everything. He's smiling. Uh, and everything. Oh, oh, I thought maybe you captured him or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, you just had to hit him with a whip. It's, it's a... an old Kazakhstanian game. Ah, right? okay. Yes. 100% uh, adventure. I just have a lot of responsibilities now. Okay. All right. So, uh, Sarah, don't give her the ticket. She's not going to accept it. That time travel ticket. Don't look at me like that. Um, Okay. Uh, I have mine, which is, do you know any good jokes? Before we end today, do you know any good jokes? I do. I do. Actually, my daughter, who's now 16, when she was very, very little, suddenly just hit a place where she was really good at writing jokes. And I don't think she was five or six. So one of them we'll all appreciate with our our Boston orientation. What kind of, I'm going to blow it. What, What hockey team always wins? She's like, the Bruins. Oh, that's great. The Bruins. And then the other was, what did the little kid say to their umbrella and rain boots? We don't know. Let's go. Oh, that is very sweet. I'll bring my own in because I was just at the doctor this week. And I I went in and he says to me, you need to lose weight. And I said, "Uh, how? And he says, don't eat anything fatty. And I said, like, what do you mean? Ice cream and chips and things like that? And he said, no, don't eat anything fatty. <laughs> it's a one-liner. Nothing here, guys? Okay. Oh, I know you guys have heard it. Oh, sorry about that. But Laura hadn't heard it. All right. So uh, uh, this brings us to our end. It's uh, We've really enjoyed having you with us, Laura, today. Can people, can you tell folks where they can connect with you? And I love your Twitter handle. You've had it forever. So uh, yeah. And tell us, by the way, when you tell us where they can connect, tell us why that Twitter handle. I'm a nut. So I have been called pistachio like out loud to my face for a good 14 years now. It just happened to be the name of my business when I signed up for Twitter. I was still pistachio consulting. And I was like, oh, you know, I shouldn't give away my gender or my location. or So I'll be cool and I'll use my company name. But of course, having a normal word as your Twitter handle is like, it looks really smart in 2021. But in 2007, that was just 
what I had. So yeah, I'm pistachio on the Twitter. The business is enough company all spelled out on all the social platforms on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and the website is enough.co. And if you want to email me, I'm Laura at enough.co. I would love to hear how I can help your company take advantage of the climate economy. We talked mostly about risk today. There's serious climate opportunity as well, both personally and professionally and on the corporate level. So folks, no matter what you do, connect with Laura and learn more about how this this climate change can affect your business. Uh, Engage with her, find out how she could help you. I think it's very important for the future. Uh, We want to thank everybody who's listening today. Laura, thank you for joining us as our guest. It's great to see you again. And I thank Sarah and Brian for always being at my side and helping me with this podcast. And I want to say, have a great day and grow and scale your company. Come see us, braincell.com. That's with an S, B-R-A-I-N-S-E-L-L.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth Enablement Madness Podcast. I also want to thank Divinio Podcast for this episode's production and distribution. Finally, thank you to Sam Ward for our musical introduction and outro. Be sure to check out all of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. New episodes are available monthly and cover all important topics for growing and scaling your business. Until next time, this is Jim Ward signing off. Let's grow.